Welcome to Working Title, a podcast where two writer friends stumble through books we love looking for writing secrets. Like our podcast, we are a work in progress. Uh, My name is Dana, and this week, when it comes to writing, I'm not, which (laughs) has been very hard to not beat myself up about, but it's been like a very packed and stressful week in like a lot of other non-writing, non-creative fronts. I have a lot on my work plate at the moment, and it's been, I've been hoping that this is just a time to like, you know what? You gotta let fields lie fallow sometimes before you can come back to it. And so it's been a really good, well, it's been as frustrating, but hopefully in the end, good practice at like trying just not to bury myself in guilt since we have talked plenty about how uh, writing is good. Guilt is bad. Yeah. It's wild. Like how, how many times I'll go back and I'll listen to our episodes. I'll be like, so true, but I needed to hear it again. (laughs) Yeah. It's it's hard to keep in mind. And it's especially hard when we live in a world that is pushing a a different ideology that is actually not very healthy. Super not. So it's just, it's hard to shut out those voices. It's hard to retrain your brain. Give your give your brain some patience as well as you retrain it and learn new behaviors. That's a lot of work. Yeah. So proud of you for trying to keep that in mind. Thank you. I'm glad that this is part podcast and part just like writing support group. It's very, yeah. very helpful. <laughs> group therapy, but recorded. Yeah. Everyone uses it. <laughs> Hi, I'm Leah and uh, Dana stole what I was going to say, actually. Oh no, it's what a bad week for everyone. <laughs> My week has been a circus. I have. I am a clown. Everyone in the situation has been a clown. Oh, it no. has been nonstop circus music. So it's just, it's been hard to find the time. Mm-hmm. And once again, I'm, I'm just eternally battling with how flexible I can be about my ideas. Because on one hand, I think it's great to have flexibility and leave room for discovery. Mm-hmm. On the other hand... I know me and my anxiety, and if you give me infinite time, I will find infinite ways to tell this story, and none of them will be good (laughs) enough. So, you know, trying to figure out where to draw that line, it's just, like, it's a perpetual struggle. Me versus my brain every day. Every day. And then also trying to recognize that, like, but I am my brain. It is, we are all... We're partners. Oh, no. Well, and also your brain is working against all of the external forces, right? Like, if work is yep. a circus, mm-hmm. your brain is trying to function despite that, and then expecting creativity on top of that is, like, yeah, just not going to happen. That's tough. You're wrangling all the clowns. How are you yeah. also supposed to sit down yeah. and be like, let me generate really creative ideas and also... And they'll be good. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, God, yeah. The need for them to be good when my brain is like nothing is good have you considered that but simultaneously i'm mad at myself for saying that your brains are complicated (laughs) brains are extremely complicated Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. as you may have heard one of the things that has been really nice about this week has been that i have been very much looking forward to recording this uh with our special guest my dear friend and also leah's dear friend uh as well as a reader, a D&D storyteller, a librarian in training. Kate, welcome to Working Title. Hello. Want to introduce yourself? Thank you for having me. 
Um, yeah, I I am all of those things. Uh, and I'm ha- very happy to be here. Yay! We're so excited to have you on. The three of us have done plenty of talking about books yes. off mic and had an absolutely fabulous time. So it really is a pastime for us to have you on. Today, we are having you on specifically to talk about Hench by Natalie Zena Walshots, a book that you picked, Kate. Yes, I did. And that I will attempt to summarize before we get into talking about all the good and juicy things in this chunk, this absolute unit of a book. <laughs> so Hench follows the story of Anna Tremudlov, who is just your average data entry specialist for like a D-list supervillain. That is like going fine for her, sort of barely making ends meet, but making them meet enough, kind of freelancing, being a, you know, temp hench person for various supervillains in this world. When she gets roped into more of this villain's schemes and gets thrown into the path of the superhero super collider, mm-hmm. who gives her a devastating injury that she has to spend months and months recovering from and that drives her to start thinking about the broader societal costs and harm that superheroes visit upon the society. As she starts putting together a fairly revolutionary blog about these costs, she gets noticed by the biggest and baddest supervillain in this world, Leviathan, and gets recruited to try to take down all the superheroes. She throws herself into her work with joy and reckless <laughs> abandon, specifically basically just trying to make the superheroes' lives miserable mm-hmm. in order to expose the ways that this whole system is kind of fucked up. This grows to a head as she and Leviathan focus their energies on trying to get revenge for their many various and extremely deep injuries from Super Collider. That is my attempt at a spoiler-free summary of how Anna Tremadlov starts to become her own supervillain. Yeah. I really enjoyed this book. That's just, I'm, we're not, before we even get into questions, I like sat down to read this book and was like, I'll start this book today and I'll read it more throughout the week. No, I just didn't (laughs) sleep. I just finished the whole thing. So I guess first off, Kate, you picked this book to bring to us and thank you for it. Do you want to tell us why you picked Hench? Sure. So I, you both know this, I started off with a very large pile of possible books because I wanted it to be something enjoyable, but also something that we could like discuss from a writerly perspective. Uh, And I write like academically, but not novels. I am not what I would call a writer. Um, And so I wanted to, to pick something that I like had something to say about. And this book, I remember reading it and really liking it a few years ago when it first came out and wanting you, Dana, to read it then. Mm -hmm. And we just never got around to it because you and I constantly tell each other to read various books. (laughs) What? What? Yes. Mm, Shocking. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But also just because I remember it 
like the superhero supervillain type dynamic but from a very interesting perspective Mm-hmm. And just kind of like turned on its head of what it means to be good and what it means to be evil and just a really cool like assessment of how we view various like societal things. I just I, I thought she approached the like superhero superhero supervillain arc from such an interesting perspective. Um, and I wanted to bring that up because superpowers aside so many stories have good and evil and the balance between the two i love it i i mean i have i always feel like superheroes in particular are a very Mm -hmm. interesting cultural dynamic to like touch on and talk about because it is this like popular with this incredibly like long rich history and certainly is like having a particular resurgence and moment in our society over the past several years and I feel like there's so many there's so many arguments both for the idea that superhero stories are like really subversive and mm-hmm. also really mainstream. And mm-hmm. like you can I have heard and made many of these arguments either that like superheroes are ultimate like counterculture and that superheroes are the ultimate like just replication of institutional powers and systems and all of these kinds of things. So, yeah, definitely, definitely I'm really excited to uh, have an excuse to talk about that always. (laughs) I think that's what makes it such a fun space to play in, because you're right, it exists both as this huge mainstream thing that that has taken the public imagination, like some of the, the biggest movies, for example, that we see coming out are superhero movies and Mm -hmm. what I loved about this book is not just the angle that it took but also that it preserved some of the campiness of the kind of golden age of superheroes while bringing in some of the satirical elements and criticism I feel like a lot of the big blockbuster superhero type stories that have an element of critique often turn to very gritty like they don't have the fun Mm -hmm. zaniness Mm -hmm. and i think uh the author was like what if uh trauma but kind of fun like trauma but campy horrific but hilarious Yeah. yeah it's exactly where i mean i just want all of the superhero and supervillain names are phenomenal. There's like yes. just even the throwaway yeah. ones, right? We like meet a duo of supervillains who are a uh, denial and defense mechanism. <laughs> a plus 10 out of 10. There, there's no. Yes. <laughs> How, amazing. Beautiful. Also, ideas. sorry. Leviathan is like yes. the most badass villain name. Incredible. I yeah, just. It's very oh, good. Oh, it's so yeah. good. So good. And also, even if you look at like, this is. A smaller detail, but I get obsessed with smaller details. <laughs> but if you look at the older superheroes versus the new ones and mm-hmm. how they replicate naming conventions for the mm-hmm. decades, so the difference between like Doc Proton and Quantum Entanglement, mm-hmm. you hear that and you immediately yes. have an understanding of the era. So it's, yep. like I said, it's very much informed by superhero canon. And it just, it twists it, it twists it in a fun cartoony, like there were parts of it that 
reminded me a little bit of impossible and setting yes not yeah not in vibe but i mean impossible (laughs) also retained the you know the super villain hideaway with i mean it was a part where when leviathan is captured all of the most critical aspects of the of his secret base are literally covered in magma. Yes. <laughs> they are trapped via a lava flow immediately. Yes. Everyone's like, yes. well, that's good. The protocol went off according to plan. And you're like, what? <laughs> yeah. They're trapped yeah. in lava? In- yeah, sorry. I hope Jim isn't still in the lab. Yeah, right? <laughs> <laughs> right. I just, and that's, that's also what's fun about this is like, Okay, I think I'm really obsessed with introducing the fantastical and the mundane. Mm -hmm. I love the idea that you can turn a corner and find a secret door, Mm -hmm. that there are things that we just can't explain in the real world. But the flip side of the coin that is equally as fun is the mundane and the fantastical. God, it's so Mm -hmm. good. Like the bureaucracy of it. What yep. you're saying about this office worker being trapped in the in the lava flow yep. is something that would actually happen in this book. Like there probably was. And just the whole like first first third premise of the book where the main mm-hmm. character is a a temp worker who is doing data analysis for like low level villains. Like mm-hmm. that is so mundane and so like terribly realistic. Because yeah. in any world, right, like, you're going to have a limited number of superheroes and supervillains. You have a lot of people who need jobs yep. uh, and are probably, like, desperate enough to work for a temp agency that subs to supervillains. Like, and, yeah. like, m- most supervillains, as very clearly demonstrated in this book, they're not going to do their own Excel sheets. No. Like, are you kidding me? Yeah. No, they outsource that shit. <laughs> Too egocentric. Uh-huh. Yeah. No, they're the they're the startup bros who want yes. the data to be presented to them, but they don't they're they're big picture guys. You know? <laughs> Absolutely in love with and again, it's so funny. I do want to talk a lot about I want to talk more about the structure of this book. Yes. Because I think it's really interesting in that it didn't feel to me like it followed a typical like three-act structure or four-act structure and I think in a real break from a lot of stories and particularly from superhero stories was comfortable letting things happen and then be gone from the story Mm -hmm. and I think one of the clear examples of that is the D-list supervillain that Anna works for at first Electric Eel or E Um, just just call me E right and like the descriptions I was like oh I know that guy I know that guy. He's been my boss, my friend's bosses. How many like, minutes do we want to dedicate to the fruit basket? Oh, <laughs> oh my God. Because it was uh, so in character for him and also just like painfully corporate. <laughs> absolutely. Like oh. you've been brutally injured by a superhero through the course of doing your, I mean, again, like it's great too that they specifically the job where Anna gets hurt she's like called into the field but just to be like the girl standing behind him and quite specifically yes. it's made clear just that to make is... his staff look diverse yes, yeah like is... the, the the staff day photo this mm-hmm. is a bs failed dei initiative where it's yeah. like yep. hey we we said we care about this or yeah it's specifically it's like i like to think of myself as a progressive employer <laughs> cool so yeah it's actually not about being diverse it's just no. about your ego so she's, like, supposed to be standing there. Yeah. She gets brutally injured. Mm-hmm. She gets super collided. 
she gets super collided and then gets um you know fired uh via fruit basket yeah yeah Yeah. in the hospital yeah yeah i mean also like progressive but hiring a bunch of temps as well no full benefits Mm -hmm. it's just it i think what you said about it being a tech startup is just right there Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. on the nose yeah it's very silicon valley yeah look he literally he tries to ransom a kid's finger for cryptocurrency he does he He wants crypto which is crypto the future crypto's the future kate leah (laughs) (laughs) i will not be participating in the future um yeah i'm this on this podcast uh my secret mission is to slowly turn both of the co-hosts into super villains just by making comments like that that's how to do it i genuinely the way that people talk about this shit is very very likely to uh turn me into a super villain eventually Mm -hmm. my god Mm. Yeah, but I think the 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 point I was starting to say with that too is that like we have this incredible characterization of this D-list startup crypto bro villain yeah. who escapes the scene of the crime unharmed because he leaves. He yeah, literally he just, just like packs up his shit and he's like, "Ha ha!" and he exits. he makes things worse <laughs> for everybody and then he leaves. And gets, like, some credit about it because, hey, an A-list superhero showed up to my D-list supervillain shit. Mm -hmm. But he just pieces, and we don't see him again. Like, there's one brief reference. I mean, there's occasionally, like, Anna reflects on the trauma that she was visited and reflects on the fruit basket. Well, and you hear tell from Super Collider that he eventually got arrested. Yeah, he eventually got arrested, but we don't see him. He doesn't come back in the end to be, like the secret you know he's not important he's not important he he sets up her path but he's not he doesn't have a role to play and like thank god because he's so annoying but that's (laughs) but that's the case with him and it's also the case though with other characters and things that are much more important Mm -hmm. namely i'm thinking of anna's best friend june yeah yeah. who we see for much longer and is a much more integral part of the story. Yeah. And like being that voice of caution, reason, fear of Anna, you're getting really deep into this. Like we're temp workers for supervillains and you yep. got your legs smashed when you weren't doing anything. Now that you're actually going after these heroes and the systems that uphold all of this, you're in danger. I'm in danger by virtue of being near you. Mm-hmm. And after a number of extremely traumatic events where, like, Anna gets, like, kind of spirited away from June a couple of times and at least yeah. at least once under extremely traumatic circumstances, uh, June breaks off their friendship because she's just like, I can't, I can't see you get taken away anymore. I can't see this happen anymore. And she doesn't come back secretly at the end, right? Like Anna, Anna gets spirited away from June's apartment twice. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, and yeah. one is good and one is not good. And mm-hmm. yeah, I, on the one hand, I, you know, it makes me sad because I like Anna and I'm sad that she lost her friendship with June. Mm-hmm. Um, but on the other hand, like, when you see the de- the damage that the superheroes do and like just without even thinking twice about it, which is part of the premise of the whole book, right? You totally understand where she's coming from because Anna is putting everyone she cares about in danger just by being around them and doing what she does. Mm -hmm. And it's, I mean, I'm sure June didn't appreciate having to call off that friendship, but 
I, I get why she did it, which is hard to like, yeah. look at that piece of it. Yeah, it's something that I think is really realistic from a human perspective in terms of like relationships of all kinds and for various stressors undergoing such extreme trauma and also then going on your own path to basically start becoming a supervillain could easily be that. But it also strikes me from a creative perspective because as realistic as that is, it is very rarely done, I feel like. Yep. I, I felt like I was consistently surprised with this plays so much with the tropes of genre. But if I was to try and say like it's not, it didn't pull a comic book style structure right like that felt very different in ways that like really worked for me but I think I also like saw some criticism online of people who were like I this didn't flow the way I expect things to flow I did while I was rereading it this time I did want to ask you guys what you thought about the pacing but it's interesting because I did read it as a three-part like a three-act story Mm, um yeah the first act like her getting injured and leading up to the point where she goes to meet Leviathan. And then the second act, that point where she's like gleefully just, you know, screwing up superheroes travel plans and, you know, messing up their Wi-Fi and just doing all sorts of stuff to make them just miserable day to day in a very plebeian way that I find Mm -hmm. extremely like just amazing. And then right when she gets taken so that both of these actually butts up against the two times that she's at june's apartment and she gets vanished um so then that third one is her getting taken and then like fully becoming the super like super villain version of herself i also saw like that's how i divided it and maybe it was because i've i really struggle with structure mm-hmm. and so as i've been reading i have started taking note of like what percent does this happen and you notice that about 30 percent is when she breaks away from the temp agency and then there's another 30 percent and she's really starting to come into herself and well, i guess i want to say a couple of things um, maybe i'll start with the structure and then i want to talk about june but yeah with the structure what i felt was interesting was i think for a lot of it your your setup for this trajectory is as Anna becomes a supervillain, she's making more and more excuses. She's reflecting a little bit, and you're you as the reader, not always, but you're kind of with her. You're understanding what is driving her. Not every reader was able to follow her all the way, but you know, I I kind of got it. I feel like anyone who's had like both the petty revenge fantasy and also the anger over the system and who gets. PR and how heroes are created Mm -hmm. and are just empty vassals of whatever system is just chugging away without thought hurting people. And so it it moves into this peak and then you have the triumphant moment, what's supposed to be this moment where it's facing off against Super Collider. And then the very end has this like twist of tragedy to it where she's like, wait, we did all of this and what was the cost? But she's kind of committed as well. Like she's, She's realizing all of the lives that all the collateral damage in her cause. And in a way, she's not so much questioning her own beliefs, but questioning who she's following in a way that she didn't expect. Mm -hmm. So I thought that was an interesting twist. And I think it it leaves it open for a potential sequel. 
But if you're thinking a typical superhero arc or a superhero comic story arc, that last moment, you know, ending, you can end a comic on a cliffhanger, but ending a comic after the triumphant moment and then being like, but actually it sucks. It's not common. Yeah. Yep. Yep. But then in terms of June, what I thought was, was really interesting about June is in comparing her to E specifically, maybe. Like, you're right, E doesn't really appear. E is kind of the sidekick to the catalyst, right? He's yes. like, he's he's here to kind of get you into it, to realize the kind of satirical bent, to make you think, start thinking about the bureaucracy that is churning these people out. And he's this, like, this kind of archetype, this icon of the types of bros and dude bros that people are just sick of in the real life. So you're mm-hmm. kind of, you're already kind of like, yeah, fuck this guy. Like, this is fun. No. And then he just, he kind of disappears. He's occasionally like, yeah, remember that stupid tech bro that you worked for? And everyone's like, ha, 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 ha. I have a full <laughs> job with benefits now. And, yep. you know, any and worker in, <laughs> right. And any worker <laughs> in the modern day totally gets that. Like when you go from a job where you're, it's boring. Mm-hmm. You don't have benefits. You're treated like yes. shit to a job that's just stable. You have a terrible boss who likes to pretend that they're like super in tune. Like he's just such a yep. empath. I'm just reading your aura right now, and um... mm. yeah, I'm sensing. But yeah, so he he kind of haunts the narrative in a very comedic way, mm-hmm. whereas June, I feel like, is the kind of haunting a little bit of of Anna's maybe some of her conscience, but also some of her trauma. And Absolutely. June in the beginning is the person who pushes her into the field, who's kind of like, but it's kind of in this disconnected way, right? It's like, we're just doing whatever we can to survive, and isn't this all shitty, and yeah, just go into the field, fuck it, right? Yep. And it's it's Anna's, like, passion of belief, in part, that scares June away. It's it's seeing someone, like, June, I feel like, is kind of, has this kind of nihilistic attitude about the whole thing, which, again totally connect with like <laughs> yeah everything sucks so what but at least we have each other and then all of a sudden Anna is pulling away and putting June in danger like you said yeah and then you see towards the end June uh Anna sorry Anna composing this message to June being like I'm scared of what I'm about to do and I wish that you could be here to like make fun of me for it basically and be the voice who's who's taking me back down to earth but you can't be and I respect that and so June is June is kind of haunting the narrative, even if she's not there. Yeah. And I do wonder if there was a sequel. Would June show up? Would June continue haunting the narrative? I think it would be very hard to cut June out completely because she's she plays such a significant role. But the question is, like, would she come back as a person at some point? Especially now at the end, you have um, you have Anna questioning a little bit or would she just continue to be this ghost of what Anna has sacrificed and lost on the way there personally yeah 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 it's interesting I there's a part of me that feels like I would I would rather it stay the ghost just because I love what feels like the boldness of saying hey sometimes shit breaks and it doesn't get fixed Mm -hmm. right which is a very much a theme throughout this in terms of just like physicality and disability and physical trauma like well and there's so much death there's so much loss of people and then you have a loss of a person who isn't dead is very much still in the same city is very much still around but has decided that they don't want to talk to you anymore 
she's removed herself from this story and from Anna's life. And like, that's, it's a different kind of loss. But I yep. think like, and yeah, I, I, I hearing totally what you guys are saying about like, yeah, there actually are three very defined acts. What I think I was maybe uh, resonating with was I don't think those acts are structured the way that the typical act one is structured. I think actually there's a lot of moments where exactly what you were saying, Leah, where the end, you have all your rising action to your climax. And then there's a kind of long sense of, um, that didn't feel as good as I wanted it Mm -hmm. to. You're right. The second act does that too with Accelerator. The second act does that with Accelerator. The first act does that with Anna's blog, The Injury Report. Right? Like the peak of act one is Anna's in this business. She gets this Mm -hmm. job. She's sort of being pushed into field work. We see some things coming to a head around like her dating life and the worst uh, first date. Anna takes the cake. I I can't compete with that (laughs) for sure. But like, but then after her injury, and this is something else that I I really appreciated about this book and I want to read more analysis from disabled folks about how this read but instead of being like and now there's this injury and we like just skip forward or we launch into the new thing we have a long time that's just Anna kind of telling us what she's doing right we don't spend a lot of time in scenes we get a couple of moments of her interacting with June while she's recovering on June's couch but we have a lot of Anna just telling us how hard it is to recover from this devastating injury both physically and mentally yeah yep and the way she gets so sucked into this project of analyzing superheroes impact on the world in the same way you would analyze a natural disasters impact on the world and it's a pretty long section where there's not really rising and falling action we had our moment where we built to that tension and then there's actually space for the aftermath and the recovery or lack thereof Mm -hmm. and to really actually get into and talk about the physical ramifications which i think is also an interesting thing particularly in a superhero novel because like and and having it honestly be a broken leg is perfect because that's absolutely one of those injuries that you see where people are like Broken leg, that's fine. That's recoverable violence. We can have that happen to anyone in a comic book, in a superhero movie, the random hench person, whatever, without recognizing that, like, hey, that actually, especially in this case where you've introduced superhuman strength as the cause of a a broken leg, like, this is, this is life altering. Mm -hmm. And, like, that's, that's something that, like, this narrative really dives into. And I think it does sort of change... The way that those acts feel, because they don't end in the like dramatic, glorious moments, they end in the weird, confusing aftermath where you're trying to heal, and maybe it's working, and maybe it's not. That's a good point. Yeah, each of those acts does end in this kind of weird plateau of like emotion and action before the next act starts. Yeah, which I felt like really worked for me because I liked how different it was. Yeah. But also it is, I think it's really interesting because if someone was like, like you were asking, like, how's the pacing of this book? I It super it's worked different. for me. Yeah. The pacing felt great to me personally, but it's not a pace that I would have ever thought to try, right? It's yeah. not something that I would have, if someone just described it on paper, I'd be like, I think that's going to feel weird because it is just so different from a lot of other things that certainly in that genre. Yeah. Well, I think it 
it makes sense that it's it's subverting expectations in terms of pacing in the genre too and i feel like that's an essential part of the book because so much of the book mm-hmm. so much of anna's arc is thinking about ethical costs mm-hmm. and so she, you have to have those moments of reflection and thought and pause and plateau if you're actually going to have that conversation yeah, it can't just be constant action and and battles. It has to be followed by the aftermath. Yeah, because that's what the book is interested in asking and, and asking itself and asking the reader to think about. What I thought was more unexpected. I, I, I In a way, I expected something like that from this book. Like I knew it had to happen. That's why the pacing fits because you go in already expecting there to be some conversation about what does it mean to be a superhero or a supervillain? What does it mean to exist in a society where you're you're you have limited options and your your personal experiences and your position in society push you in one direction or another and how can you change that and yada yada yada. Like you expect some of some of that level of reflection and conversation with the genre as a whole. Like mm-hmm. that made sense, that checked out. What I thought was interesting is Anna's relationship with Leviathan and how that affects the plot and the plot structure. Mm-hmm. And I'm mm-hmm. really curious to hear from both of you what your thoughts were about this. Like, how did it feel as she was developing her feelings? Why do you think she developed those feelings? And what does it say that it seems like there's this underlying motivation towards the end that's very personal in a way that up until that point Anna was kind of like no it's not personal it's about the numbers but then you have the ultimate kind of climax has this huge undercurrent of personal and it's also not just undercurrent like it's up front and center so how did you think what did you think about that and it's kind of relationship with the ethical questions the book was asking and maybe it's depiction of characters and stuff like that i have a silly thing to say and then a real thing to say i mean them both equally but (laughs) (laughs) the first thing is i just want to just thank natalie zina walshots so much for basically setting up what an incredible supervillain bisexual dating sim, right? Like, we're sitting here, she started tension between Anna and Leviathan, the, like, shape of water fish person supervillain, yes. yes. with the uh, incredibly well-muscled uh, lady, lady driver, mm-hmm. and with the cybernetically enhanced, uh, really, like, emotionally in touch pilot guy. Yes. Incredible. I... Don't even know if I have a favorite ship. I'm just, like, (laughs) into all of it. Okay, something you didn't include, but, like, there's the part of me that was when Quantum Entanglement was mentioned. I was like, I ship them. Quantum Entanglement's gonna leave. And and they have a very Mm -hmm. brief sort of flirtation ship, but not really. (laughs) Mm I can't, I can't never tell if I'm like, am I reading flirting into this because I want it or is this flirting? actively lying to each other a little bit. But they're also, like, like, sometimes quantum entanglement just walks into the room and Anna's just like, God, she's hot. And I'm like, 
Really? Tell me more. <laughs> I absolutely think that that is text. I, I, I just forgot it because it's a little bit, it's a later, it's a later addition to yeah. a suite mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. incredible disaster yes. bisexual dating options that are presented. Um, and really just mwah, beloved. I love mm. it so much. Excellent. The, the more serious thing that I want to talk about, um, there's an article that I read many years ago and have never been able to get out of my head <laughs> called The Good Guy, Bad Guy Myth by Catherine Nichols. And it's an incredible piece that talks a lot about this. And the basic premise is like pop culture is so obsessed today with the battle between good and evil. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But that's a relatively recent addition and certainly a relatively recent obsession for popular culture. If you go back and look at ancient myths or legends or fables, Mm-hmm. Most of them are not about good versus evil, right? The yeah. Iliad, which we just talked about in a recent episode, is not like Greece is good or Greece is evil. It, it's just Greece, right? And like there's fables have, they often demonstrate certain kinds of virtues or ideals, but you'll see just as many fables where it's like, this is this is behavior that will benefit you or this is behavior that is bad. And it's not that... It's not that any of the creatures involved or the people involved are usually evil. They're just other people. Yeah, they have their own motivations, which is something that you don't already, like you don't always know from the jump Mm -hmm. and you might not be prepared for, but it's their personal experiences. And it's like the book, the whole book kind of follows Anna on her on her own very interesting, complicated moral journey. Yep. And that's that's the the piece. There's a lot of interesting stuff in this article. Would highly recommend. I, If I remember, I will try and include the article in our notes, too, in case anybody else wants to read it, because I'm very into it. <laughs> but um, one of the things that it talks about a lot is that as much as we're obsessed with this idea of good versus evil, there's not actually a lot of work defining what those terms mean, except for defining them in terms of how they orient towards each other. Mm-hmm. The good guys are always scrappy. They're always loyal to each other. Bad guys constantly turn and attack each other. Mm -hmm. Which when you look at like the way that evil behavior works in the real world, it doesn't. Like, hi, white supremacists are super loyal to each other. But, you know, we see Darth Vader and the first thing he does is he's just like murdering random subordinates. That's like not a great way to build your evil empire if you just like kill everybody when they piss you off. Honestly, Leviathan's path is much more realistic. Makes way more sense. You're telling me you're going to let people like live on your protected campus thing and also provide them food and like pay them reasonably well and give them health care and all this shit. Like, yeah, I I would sign up for that. Sorry. Totally. (laughs) Well, I think that's that. That's the. It's a a long circuit I've made, but to get back to specifically your question, Leah, is that like, that's one of the things that I really enjoyed about the way that this relationship between Anna and Leviathan develops and the way it motivates some of this behavior at the end. We even see Anna kind of referencing it a little bit when she sort of talks about whether or not the bad guys play well together Mm -hmm. and how she's kind of realizing she's sort of assuming that they don't, but realizing that like... She's worked with an incredible team for now most of this book. Yeah. There's a lot of like faith and belief and loyalty to Leviathan because there's been a lot of faith and effort to protect and take care of his people. Mm-hmm. Yep. And like I thought that that was a really fun thing because to me it felt like another level of subversion 
we still see Anna goes on a complicated moral journey. She's not necessarily the secret hero. Yep. If we're talking about other characters that get lost, she has a person on her team who she sends to uh, seduce a superhero and like alter the course of his life in a way that ends up with him dying. And then her colleague comes back and leaps and like she gets it. But it is like that relationship is lost. Nor doesn't come back. Nor doesn't be like, I just need some time and then I'll be chill about this. Yep. There's some dark choices that get made in this that animates and she thinks yeah. about them. But so we still have this like interesting, like she's still leaning into this, like becoming a villain and wrestling with what that means. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't mean what we see in every other story, which usually what being a villain means is you're just despicable to all the people around you, including the people on your side. And it's only the good guys who are nice and loyal and polite to each other. Yeah. And so the fact that there was this personal motivation instead of just the grandiose egotistical dreams, I thought was, again, a really fun subversion. Even for Leviathan, before that, like, we clearly see he's motivated by wanting to take care of and protect Anna. Like, whatever degree of feelings there are there, there's clearly at least a desire for care. Even though we also see, like, he's still a little bit of a classical supervillain. Like, at the end, he's really kind of pissed that, like, and upset that his nemesis was taken off the board, not by him. Yep. As Dana mentioned, uh, having the main character have a thing for the uh, shape of water dude Mm -hmm. is a terrific choice. Uh, (laughs) The monster lovers are like, finally, some good food. Yes, yeah. (laughs) Quantum Entanglement's comment about, like, see what those pincers do, I'm like, ah! (laughs) Coming back to kind of the discussion of, like, good and evil, I think plays into her relationship with Leviathan, right? Because... I think evil in a lot of the stories that we tell, especially superhero and supervillain stories, is kind of defined by desperation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, where the the supervillain makes some either morally gray or pretty dark choices, uh, and people get hurt, but it's because they are desperate to protect someone that they care about or get their revenge for something or whatever. Um, and then good is kind of defined as just opposition to evil, uh, which I think was summed up really well with the comment, like the constant comments about Super Collider being nothing except the various pillars that held him up. Like he didn't have people that he cared about. He didn't have a personality. He didn't have goals. His only goal was to, like, be the guy that punched the shit out of all of the supervillains. And I think there's also, especially for the the big bads like Leviathan, there's also an element of pride, mm-hmm. which is where the difference between Leviathan saving Anna and Anna saving Leviathan comes in. Yeah is because when Anna gets taken and Leviathan has to swoop in and rescue her, he partially does it because they're friends and because maybe he has feelings for her and because they have this really unique relationship where they kind of see each other more than other people do, or at least other people around them. And so when she gets taken, he's like, that's offensive to me on several levels. And I'm going to burn the world down to get her back. 
and, you know, screw the consequences. And there's that desperation and that pride there, right? Because his his turning point right after that is summed up by his comment about, like, Super Collider and I kind of left each other alone for the last couple years, and I thought it was because we both saw each other as, like, mutually too powerful to take down. And apparently, he doesn't feel that way, and he's gonna just steal my lieutenants (laughs) and destroy them uh, and make them not useful to me, which I thought was an interesting summation of the, the basically lobotomy they were gonna give Anna. And so then, like... That's it, right? He was desperate to get Anna back, and he his pride was hurt that Anna was taken in the first place. And then you spin that around, and he gets taken, and she rescues him, and his his pride takes a hit for that. Yeah. And I think that that's the thing that makes me not root for them as a couple. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Because... Like, I can see why she likes him, and I can see why he likes her. Like, he he gives her run of things. He sees that she's brilliant, and he lets her have the resources to do things that they both enjoy. And I think that that's, like, the first time she's ever been seen on that level. Mm-hmm. And that's, I think, where the root of her attraction for him, like, starts maybe a little bit. Yeah. Or at least the emotional level of things. Yeah. But... He's not on the same level. He no. he he is emotionally behind her. He likes working for working with her. He likes yeah. He's he's emotionally not on the same. It wasn't a rescue to get Anna back because Anna deserves to be free. It was a rescue to get Anna back because how dare Super Collider think that he can spirit away one of my henchmen? Well, it's interesting yeah. that like so Super Collider, the real focus when we're when we're kind of criticizing heroes and thinking about the cost, like why what Anna's doing works is because so much of what we consider a hero is just really good PR. Mm-hmm. And so she's, she's like, what if anti PR and respects to her, uh, we are going yes. to destroy them with the power of gossip. I'm going to dig up all the oh, dirt. It's so good. It's fun. With gossip and with terrible customer service. Yes. 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 But, it, you know, there is hilarious. Leviathan has some of that, like, spun another way, has some of that, like, heroic bluster, right? That he's not aware mm-hmm. of and not thinking about. Mm-hmm. But that, that Anna's constantly, constantly thinking about. And so you have, like, you have some of that dynamic that's not as present in the beginning because, like you said, uh, Leviathan sees her. It's the first time she's felt encouraged. She's got good benefits. Mm-hmm. So he's he's kind of he's this, a good boss. Yeah, he's a good boss. He's kind of this interesting mentor. And then, you know, I always felt a little bit unsettled and not necessarily because yes. of his literal inhuman elements, but because I could sense the danger underneath. And you're with Anna. She's starting to realize that more and more. And there's this kind of brief moment where Leviathan is like, at the end, he's like, I'm done standing in your way. And on one hand, you're like, oh, he gets it. But on the other hand, that that kind of puts Anna in a more precarious, dangerous yep. position. So their dynamics, yep. so weird. And especially after, like, you see that she, in some ways, she's just so wanting to please him. She's not wanting to lose that mentor figure, that sense of stability. Not only when he's taken, but also when 
their mm-hmm. views start to diverge and she just goes along with it because she's like, hey, like, I have this job. I really respect yep. this guy now. I think I might be attracted to him. We're not going to examine that. Bless her for literally saying that, too. <laughs> yes, Someone's like, yes. are you into him? And she's like, I'm super not talking or figuring that out right no. now. No, let's not have this discussion. It's really interesting to see how Anna ignores the cost of her own actions repeatedly. Yep. And it's so much easier to do when you're a temp and then you're just doing data analysis and then you're just, yep. and well, also you're stopping this other cost and it's not really until the end, like in almost the final moment of the book that she's like, hold on a second. There's some, there's some bodies in my wake as well. Well, and it takes her a while to actually get to the battlefield, right? Mm-hmm. Like, she's she's doing the data stuff. She's doing the backroom stuff. She's working in the office with her team of nerds. She's, like, she's doing all the fun stuff and not, like, seeing the actual damage that's happening. And I think the turning point for that is when Accelerator dies and she loses Noor from her team. Yeah. And also, like, feels guilty about it. And is, like, I... I didn't mean for that to happen. Like, that was something that I did, and I did not really foresee that actually turning out that way, and I feel bad, and I'm trying to, like, assess why I feel bad and all of this stuff, and it just... It feels very, like, the cost is worth it, the cost is worth it, the cost is worth it. Like, that's how she gets through that questioning. Yeah. Yeah. I think one of your comments about uh, Leviathan and Anna made me want to return to what you were saying earlier about the differences in like the superhero names between like Doc Proton and Quantum Entanglement and how that kind of feels like Doc Proton feels more retro than Quantum Entanglement. Quantum Entanglement feels like the modern version of that. Um, And I think that's part of what feels so realistic about this book is that you can feel the history behind it. And I think that that's true with Leviathan as well because he already had his villain arc. Like Anna's Anna's getting hers now based on her own trauma and then also the trauma, like the violence that happens to the people around her that she cares about. But he already had his. He lost entropy and that was his turning point and that was decades ago. I was I was going to say too, I really love these dynamics because whenever you're talking about the ways that a system is designed in a way that is bad, you get into questions of purity. And it always feels false to me whenever someone's like, this is a far-reaching system, it touches everyone, but I'm fully pure of it. Like, hi, that's not how this works, right? Like, this is the same kind of thing where we live in some pretty horrific hollow systems, not hollow, uh, unlike, not unlike uh, Super Collider himself and how he's propped up by all these things around him. But at the end, he's so fucking fragile, just like capitalism. Yep. Anyway, um, <laughs> it's, whenever you have those kinds of things, right, you're absolutely right. Like, Anna is our hero. You know, she she's a villain, but she's the reader's hero, yeah. our protagonist at the very least. Um, I still believe that her... You know, her count of life years cost is lower than any of the heroes she's dealing with. It so, is. like, I'm it still is. more than anything Team Anna. But the book doesn't go out of its way to say that Anna hasn't cost anybody anything. She absolutely mm. has. Her relationship with Leviathan, I think, is also interesting when you talk about when people try to build systems and movements to organize against institutions to advocate and to push for and to organize for 
revolution and change and the way that like revolutionaries can do incredible, incredible work, that doesn't mean you're free of this system. So much of Anna's ire is directed at Super Collider because he is the the focal point of this entire system is set up to defend him mm-hmm. and he is a, has a devastating impact on Anna and the world around him. But yep. Electric Eel is also part of this, yeah. right? He's a different part. He's not a good guy just because he's fighting Super Collider. No. He's also an absolute dickhead. He has smaller impact, but not for lack of trying. He's part of that system as well. I mean, they all are. Nobody's free of it. Yep. Everyone's still participating in the superhero versus supervillain project. And Leviathan is interesting on so many levels because he clearly aligns with Anna in being largely opposed to it in terms of both hating Super Collider and wanting to bring down these these heroes mm-hmm. in this system. He also kind of holds himself separate to a lot of the other villains. Like, he'll pay them to take credit for things, but yeah. he doesn't. He's They look down on a lot of the other villains as yeah. not thinking big enough, yep. which is a very revolutionary adjacent concept. Mm-hmm. And all of that tracks in the way that he's treating his people. It is very revolutionary. But also when it comes down to it, he's also still, he's someone who named himself a supervillain and decided to be, and he's also still motivated by his ego. He makes decisions against what Anna is advising him because, yep. and specifically says, well, I don't want to face super collider when he can't fight back. And it's like, yep. look, if you're actually talking about dismantling the, sis- the system that propped him up. You you get it done. You do the thing that will most effectively get it done while hurting the fewest amount of people. Like, that should be your goal. If, if we were able to separate ourselves from the systems we're trying to dismantle, if we were able to be pure in our thinking. And no one in this book is pure. But it's it really interesting to see those points where... Anna is discovering, I think, like, yeah, her views diverge. Her revolutionary views diverge, at least a little bit from Leviathan. Their priorities are different. These are the actual kinds of tensions that people trying to fight against systems and status quo face. I feel like you could really read this whole book as just like an absolutely fascinating and many-layered metaphor for everything else. And yet it still manages to be so fun and campy at the same time. And I don't feel like you lose either one of those. Yeah, it's it's analysis, but it has fun and makes you like care about the characters and enjoy the campy nonsense joke moments. Like it's it's done really well in that sense where it like has some big ideas, mm-hmm. but is not going to shy away from the fun parts. And yeah. neither one of them neither one of them feels like window dressing. And I think that gets back to its own purity question, too. This is a devastating critique of superheroes, right? This is, what yeah. if hurricanes were cops? That's what superheroes are. And, like, also, it's very clear to me that the author loves comic books mm-hmm. and, like, mm-hmm. loves superhero stories. Well, and it's, it's the... The thing that gets all of us about it, right? Because superhero stories are almost inherently hopeful Mm -hmm. um, in that there will be someone who can stop the bad things from happening and someone who acts like to protect their neighborhood or to protect the planet or whatever. Um, And they can because they are more powerful than you or I. But alongside that, hope is also the horror because 
the thought of one person having that much power and therefore that responsibility and, and, you know, yada, 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 all of those things that follow. But like one, like, I can't think of a single person that I know that I would want to have that kind of super strength because Mm -hmm. that is, as Anna points out, the amount of damage that you can do without a second thought is horrific. Yeah. And I think I don't normally like books that have a lot of like physical, visceral horror. And she writes a lot of that into this book. Man, that back third. Yo, God. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, but even like, like even in the first third, when she gets injured, like the the way that she describes the body horror that comes with the effects, like just the second thought side effects of someone having this kind of power is like so terrible and just down to like cuts you to the bone. It, it doesn't feel good to think about. And I think that she does a really good job of setting that up as the opposition to like the, the foil to the hopefulness Mm -hmm. of the superhero stories that we're all really used to. Speaking of setting up foils, I also think that she kind of foils what we would consider a standard anti-hero. Because in some ways, you could consider Anna an anti-hero. Mm-hmm. And it also made me think a lot about likable characters. Like, there are a lot of people, I read reviews, that felt like they couldn't follow Anna. They were like, but she's being hypocritical. Mm-hmm. And I was like, welcome to being human. Like, yeah. yep. and, and <laughs> <laughs> congrats. Yeah. And, and also, like... Sometimes if you're if you're fighting against a, a system and you're looking at cost, like her ethics are very utilitarian in some ways. Yep. Oh, and yeah. that listen, yep. that's not gonna vibe with everybody and I get it. Yep. Um, it feels detached and she is kind of lying to herself. So that's on one hand, like thinking about how to write unlikable characters consciously and make people root for them and be okay with that division Mm -hmm. when you're committed to something that you're trying to say. But then also, on the other hand, writing an anti-hero, like most of the anti-heroes that I'm accustomed to are snarky, which Anna has some Mm -hmm. snark, but it's, it feels more like, it's like office banter snark, right? It's not like uh, the world that I'm, you know, you're used to like- She's snarky with her friends, right? She's a social snarker, the way that some of us are like social drinkers. It's like, but inside her own head, she's not like, (laughs) like that to everyone. Right, yeah. Yeah. She's like filled with doubt. And and it's like you said, she's social. Like when you think about the antihero, I feel frequently they're very separate from the world. They're very disillusioned. Like in some ways you would expect the antihero arc for June. Yep. Based on June's outward behavior, like June is cool. June has a little bit of a power. She's detached. Like, you know, seems like the type of person who would like, ugh, do the right thing, TM. Mm-hmm. Yep. Or while insisting that I'm the villain and you shouldn't trust me. Anna, Anna is like, has moments of doubt, like gets through it by like removing herself from it and thinking about this wider arc. Like she's, she's thinking all the time about the cost in society which I'm not accustomed to from an antihero often removes themselves from society. And then her driving towards being more and more of a quote unquote villain is like having friends, having people who believe in her. Yep. 
having a team that she needs to step up and take care of yeah and get the boss back yeah, yeah. not a standard anti-hero arc by any means while well, she also gets cybernetic enhancements and an eye patch and <laughs> a super villain name of the auditor like mm-hmm. it's once again and her cane just keeps getting upgraded yes <laughs> the camp there's something really fun about yeah that ability to like showing an arc that is not what we expect it to be well, at the same time, in some ways, looking like that, right? Like, that's a really interesting thing that Super Collider says to Anna when she is uh, disappeared the second time when she's kidnapped by Super Collider. And he gives her this fucking uh, tiny violin monologue about, <laughs> like... The weight of goodness. Ugh. He seems to have been paying attention to her and, like, buying, you know, like, giving her her stuff back when she gets, like, kicked out of her apartment. So you're like, does he feel Not even bad? giving it back to her, putting it in, in a, storage a, unit. a storage unit Yeah, for the eventual future in which she has a an place apartment to live. again. Yeah. And I'm like, you know what you could have done? You could have paid her rent for a year. You also like, could have done sorry. that. <laughs> but yeah, so, like, at that point, we're kind of sitting there. We haven't seen Super Collider's take on this. He could maybe have been feeling uh, bad. You know, maybe this is somebody who truly does this by accident and does and is trying to figure out a way to be better. Uh, and then instead he gives this whole monologue about how he's been paying attention to Anna because he realizes that he creates his own nemeses. He creates his own villains. And on the one hand, that's absolutely what happened, right? Like, he did this devastating his thing. His actions. Those yep. opened Anna's eyes to the horrors that he and other superheroes are visiting upon the world. That got her noticed by Leviathan. That got her put into positions where she could grow. But he's sitting there talking about this, like, downfall. Uh, like, how, you know, he his actions can sometimes spur people to just spiral into desperation. Like you were talking about, it's so often the characterization for villains. But the story we've been reading is Anna getting to come into her own. Anna feeling supported and, like, seen and valued. That's usually framed as a tragedy. And here you're like, this woman's life is, like, 10 million times better than it was and she is like getting to actually stretch her legs and explore what she thinks and she has friends and she has people who appreciate her and her mind i just i think that it's a kind of a fascinating view of like celebrity and public personas even separated from superheroism just because especially in the second act but also in the third act they spend so much of their time analyzing what like what the superheroes personal lives are like and what their motivations are and and all of that stuff and that's like one of the tools that they use to tear them down but also like they are creating bad PR moments and they are especially with Super Collider like trying to identify why the public likes him so much so that they can undermine that like here is a a person that has put themselves into the public eye and that doesn't make them more important than everybody else and it just means that they choose to put themselves in front of cameras and on the you know covers of news news magazines and all of that stuff but it's not um it doesn't make them important in and of itself um i don't know this book hench is a book for data analysts who like comic books and schadenfreude. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's it. Yes. 
It's for like nerds <laughs> who like superheroes, but also uh, love like seeing old YouTube videos of people slipping on ice and falling yeah. or something like that. Like it's <laughs> and also spend moments like like that's the niche audience for this book. Something I appreciated about this book as well, it, like there's the Schadenfreude, there's the kind of pettiness, and then there's the like. Do you ever fantasize scenarios? wherein you have the perfect comeback and i'm not even talking about like you're reflecting yes, on something yes. that's happened to you mm-hmm, like yes. you're just making up a completely new scenario and you're like ha 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 i was mm-hmm. so clever at this thing that never happened it mm-hmm. does happen in this book yep. you do have the perfect comeback it does. congratulations <laughs> it does happen yeah yep yeah and to your point about celebrities i, I know earlier on we were talking about this kind of anti-pr scheme which is connected to the superhero status, but also connected to celebrities. And you're talking about real life celebrity. And the thing is, oftentimes when we talk about real life celebrities, when they're in their golden period, the language that we use is similar to the language that we use to describe superheroes. And if you yeah, think about totally. what what I think would also kind of be interesting, this is not what this book is, but I, this just popped into my head. We, we use the language of heroes to talk about celebrities who maybe don't really have anything behind them. It's all just this image, right? But then we also mm-hmm. use it when talking about people that we later want to exploit. You know, nurses, mm-hmm. teachers, or superheroes. Mm-hmm. I yeah. would, and I think that in some ways, like... By, like, placing them on a pedestal, we're expecting them to do us a favor later yeah, on. Yeah, or, or take yeah. the abuse. And I think quantum entanglement mm-hmm. is maybe a little bit of an example of that. Totally. I think you could even make a case that Super Collider is, at least in terms of, like, he fucking sucks. But also it, we learn more as we, like, figure out what happened. And, like, he was also made this way. Yeah. Not, and it's yeah. not, and I love that the book doesn't frame it he as, a and therefore... of the mm-hmm. system that is... And that doesn't mean that it's okay or that, like, oh, he's just baby. No, he's not baby. He's an incredibly powerful, fully functional adult person who does despicable things that he He should have accountability for. Yeah, Yeah. but also he didn't come from nowhere. He was created by and has lived in this system. And they talk about how even specifically, like, he's just trying to be what everyone around him is demanding that he be. Mm -hmm. And, like, that's part of his hollowness. Mm-hmm. But it's also part of how you make this shit come to be real. Like there, and there is absolutely, I think, like a parallel in terms of, um, you know, yeah, uh, Super Collider sucks a lot. It doesn't seem at any point in the book like he's having a good time either. No, no. it's not just like he's like joyously mm-hmm. and recklessly no. being a despicable person. Mm-mm. He clearly has the like Batman style grim dark you know struggle with like not feeling valuable as a person and all sorts of weird shit feel bound to the role that you've been like you can't you can't escape it in a Mm -hmm. way because what is he without without that doesn't know who he is he's being exploited at the same time that he is a colossal detriment and abuser right like his both of these things are true at the same time yeah 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 his hollowness is necessary to like keep from losing his mind because if he had his own morals and his own ethics and his own view of the world he would not be as useful of a tool for the people who have turned him into what he is and have given him the power that he has yeah what is my purpose if I'm not of service? 
as Louisa would say. I still need to see that movie, but... <laughs> the good news is that Louisa doesn't cause major personal and city-wide damage. Louisa is just struggling. I think Lu- Louisa is maybe a better example of, like, the uh, describing someone as a hero to exploit them in a way. Yeah. Yep. But I kind of... I know that we're starting to run out of time, so I wanted to end on maybe a a fun silly question um we're talking about a super collider and i wanted to know what would his tinder profile be or for that matter any other character tinder shows up briefly and anna has this fun moment where she gets to make fun of profiles and i thought it'd be a great moment (laughs) magnificent yeah super collider's tinder profile um before after quantum entanglement uh, does her work. I mean, I feel like it has to be before Quantum yeah. Entanglement. Right? I don't think he can get on Tinder after <laughs> like, that. I think no. for sure there would be at least one picture where he's wearing a polo and the collar is popped. Um, and yes. he would... Mm-hmm. He absolutely has the terrible fake mustache that he wore oh. to the hospital oh, God. to see yeah, Anna. No, there's for yeah. sure just like him posing with some cops with his fake mustache. You could see that. Yes. Also, I feel like he would include a picture of a dog like him and a dog but it, it but it's not be, his would, dog exactly it's not his dog, you would yeah. find out on the date that it's not his dog uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> there's definitely photos of him shaking hands with every single famous person he's ever met oh my god yeah yes like the president of the united states yeah well yeah superhero and also drake yeah, yeah. yes and, and his quote and then his bio the president would be of a Canada. quote it would be a quote from the the prime minister or president and then also a quote from drake like those yep. two quotes yes. would be his profile. Absolutely. Uh huh. Yeah. Uh huh. He absolutely has six four if it matters. Yes. Like it doesn't, and I think you're lying when both of these things I are think, true. <laughs> I think if he was feeling playful, uh, because like Anna when she first devises her scheme is like telling everybody who superheroes are is kind of passe, right? And also like a lot of them are already out, like they don't have false identities and and like pretend lives, like they're just the the superheroes nonstop. <laughs> so I don't think he would be hiding that he's super oh, collider. No. He would absolutely have a picture of him like holding up a goddamn city bus or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I feel like if he was feeling a little playful, uh, he would end his profile with something like, let's collide. Oh, God. <laughs> oh, God. Ooh. Yes. Yeah, actually, okay. Okay. Here's what I think. I think let's collide would be done by some misguided, like, zillennial assistant who's been charged to help him with his Tinder profile. Yes. Like, I yes. feel like, it, it was, again, it depends. Like, if he's in his early hero days, Oh my god, guys, that, but... is there, is there a, you know how Raya is, like, the dating app for celebrities? I was thinking about that dating There's app. Is there a, a dating app dating for app. superheroes? 100%. There has to be, right? Because oh they all, they also believe that they're so much better than us. Although I could, yes. I could yes. see, it's like... It's exclusive. Yeah. I could see someone, like, the Accelerator, someone who's up and coming. They're, they're on both apps, but they're on the second uh-huh. app just to uh-huh. get, like, praise and have one-night stands. Mm-hmm. And then they're yes. on the other app to actually get their 
their real their partner. Yes. 100%. And, and their their like Tinder app is like not looking for anything serious. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah. Kate, yeah. I know you said that you uh, aren't defining yourself as a writer at this point, but I kind of think <laughs> the three of us should collaborate on a romance novel based on a superhero dating app. <laughs> oh, that would be fun. Yeah, that would be fun, right? I, I will I will happily help with this. Okay, great. <laughs> Yeah. I love if you it. and if you're listening to this and you're like, I have a thought for a dating profile for any of the characters in this book. Yes. Let us know. Please. Anna's absolutely says head auditor bitch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I want actually what I want to do is go think about all of the Tinder profiles for all of Anna's love interests. I want all mm. of I want all of their Tinder profiles. But that's that is something that would probably take us a whole nother episode, and maybe we should come back and do that mm-hmm. sometime. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but for now, I think that brings us to a close. Thank you so much for joining us, Kate. Thank you for having me. Of course. And uh, thank you so much to everyone for wandering with us today here on Working Title. If you want to let us know what you think any of these Tinder profiles might be, or if you have any other thoughts about, you know, the broader societal implications of superheroes and villains, you can find us at Work Title Pod, uh, where we will happily chat you up about all of these things. <laughs> That's at Work Title Pod. Yeah, and thank you so much for being with us and having fun with us today. We will catch you next time. Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye.